0: What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Black Men Unlearning. I'm your co-host, Edwin Lee. I'm your co-host, Kyle Brooks. Kyle, what's good, man? It's been a little minute. Yes, sir. Yes, like, It sir, hasn't been a, a little See, we, I did it again. I <laughs> did it again. We were just talking about this concept of units of measurement and time for Black folks. And then I said, a little minute. I've been talking to you. It's been a little minute since we recorded but a little minute is actually several weeks.
1: Yeah, man, you know, black life be
0: Right, right.
1: <laughs> all, always, always, uh, you know, creative interpretations of time and space. So, listen, we I'm all, all for, it. for it. It's black history. We Whatever
0: we now, nah, we don't. I'm not even gonna say it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> this could go. This could go
1: <laughs> way left real quick.
0: Yeah, let's just let's just get started. How about that? So, uh on today's episode, um we're going to have a discussion about the difference between arousal and attraction. And Kyle, you you know gave us the energy for this idea. So, talk to us. Let let how how do you define the difference between arousal and attraction?
1: Man, very good question. Glad you asked. So I understand a couple of differences between arousal and attraction. First, there is the difference between what is unconscious versus what is being thoughtfully pursued. I don't have to think about arousal in any sense. When something arouses me, excites me, it's not about thought process as much as a reactive process. So you see something you like, you open up the sneakers app and you see, ooh, these new kicks are dropping. You immediately have a visceral reaction to it. You're not
0: having to think about like, ooh, do I like these or not? No, you just do. Boom, and if, and if I may, you we got to trust that arousal, right? Because sometimes you talk yourself mm-hmm. into something, you make a purchase, and you're like, mm, now that I see these in real life, my hesitancy was correct. I should have trusted right. that, <laughs> yes,
1: that that gut that gut instinct. The arousal for me is that sort of guttural, instinctive, boom, something in me just reacts to what I'm seeing. Attraction. I I think there can be elements of attraction that, oh yeah, we just react to. We think, oh, that looks really interesting. That looks really good. That looks really desirable. But there's a kind of thoughtfulness within how we engage it. There isn't this necessarily, I must have this at all costs, or I'm short circuiting my other faculties and judgment in order to go after this. But attraction for me involves a kind of thoughtful approach to say, oh, okay, let me consider what's in front of me. Let me contemplate it more thoroughly. Uh, Let me think about how it fits into the grand scheme of things. This I think is another difference, the difference between the short-term desire versus the long-term vision or fulfillment. We can be quickly sort of turned on by a number of things. And all we're thinking about in that moment is our desire. We're not thinking about consequences. We're not thinking about implications. We're not thinking about costs. We just know what we want. But when we're a bit more sober-minded, I think that puts us in a place, in a position where we start to recognize that, oh, there are things that might actually be good for me in the long term that require some thoughtfulness and how I approach them, Requires me to actually put off some of what immediately arouses me in order to invest in what deeply attracts me, what speaks to my heart, my soul, to my want for something truly satisfying and not just exciting.
0: Your your explanation brought to mind uh, the 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 great artist. Uh, who the bleep is Robert Glasper? Is what's going on. Shout out to Chris Brown for being completely ignorant. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> from 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 the original Black Radio, um, there is a uh, there is a song with Music Soul Child, and I want to say Chrisette Michelle, and uh, it's called Oh Yeah, uh, and it starts out. I think beauty's overrated because there's some that because that's something anyone can be. Attraction, yeah. now that's something different. And thankfully you're both you. So like, there doesn't right. need to be like, it's not that the things that we are attracted to cannot arouse, but those things that arouse us don't necessarily also attract us uh, sustainably. And I think as we're we're talking about this, of course, it, it certainly has its uh, application to romantic relationship uh, and all the things thereof. But I think this is relevant in a lot of different ways. The, the things that, that excite us aren't always good for us, aren't always the best things for us long-term. Uh, I, I can think back to uh, five or six-year-old Edwin. And five or six-year-old Edwin came to the realization that there was mm-hmm. something arousing about women. I knew way back then very clearly. But that doesn't mean that every single person who I come into contact with that is a woman is for me. So knowing the difference between those things is important. And then it gets back to this uh, practice, this discipline of being able to know enough about ourselves to understand what uh, attracts us. So that we don't mistake it for something that simply arouses.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, arousal says, I like you and I want you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and please do not finish the quote. Please do. I will, I will, I will, I will. I will stop right there. I will stop right there. Um. But. <laughs> arousal yeah arousal can be dangerous it i mean gosh see when you when you take me back to like five or six year old me that's also a time in your life where you haven't necessarily learned filters you haven't necessarily learned discretion you haven't necessarily learned restraints delayed gratification And so, from a child-like perspective, often the arousal is just taken as, well, that's the the strongest thing I'm feeling right now. So that must be what's real. That must be what's true. That must be what matters. And over time, we hopefully develop a different relationship with our arousals, such that we are not driven by them. We are not possessed by the things that seem good in the moment, but we're able to sort of soberly reflect on, well, okay, how does this check in with my actual desires? Like my core desires, not just my superficial interests and wants and whims. And, And to that point, it occurs to me that some of the work that doesn't get done, especially around this uh, tension between arousals and attractions is around a very clear understanding, a very clear analysis of what do I actually want? Not just what gets me going or turns me on right now, because sometimes, You know, I think about, once again, returning to, you know, five or six-year-old me. Five or six-year-old me thought, man, I can't wait till I'm grown so I can eat chocolate chip cookies whenever I want to. Or I can drink as much pop as I want to. Or I can, X, Y, Z, I can do whatever thing that I enjoy to excess. And then you get a little bit older and you realize, ooh, that ain't necessarily what I wanted. I like the idea of it. I didn't like the consequences that came with it. And so that necessity of restraint, that necessity of rethinking or not even rethinking, just thinking for the first time about what you actually want out of this life because arousal will have you chasing everything and obtaining nothing.
0: And I think it's nuanced. I think we apply, I think our engagement with ourselves and how we develop our sense of self and our own desire uh, or how we don't is what actually applies the tension between arousal and attraction. And so I want to be clear about, I'm not communicating that I think that there's something wrong with arousal. I, it's, I think it's important mm-hmm. to know what arouses you. I think it, it I don't think that things that arouse you are necessarily bad, right? For some of us mm-hmm. that can go left, right? But um depending on what it is. Um but I think our engagement with self can create the space where we're not able to discern which of the two we're operating in and this is something i've been i've been thinking about for the last few weeks actually when when i have gone through hard things and talked to uh a friend so like i might hit you up and tell you you know what's going on with me and all the ways it's difficult i think in that moment the love that exists between us makes you want to be able to kind of meet me where I am.
1: And so Mm -hmm.
0: a question that I've heard you ask and a question that I've asked in those situations as well is like, well, well, what do you need? How How can I be helpful to you right now? And when I'm faced with that question, I often find it really difficult to say what I need or to say what I want. And I think part of it it's because when you're going through a hard thing, it's it's hard for you to be able to necessarily connect with what's needed, um, and to think it through and to verbalize it in the moment because you're emotionally burdened and that takes a lot of energy. But I also think that there's a part of this that's connected to us not really spending enough time with ourselves to intentionally define what it is that we need and want. Not taking uh, some inventory of where we are and what's happening with us such that we can say well right now this is missing or um what i what I, what i really need is just someone to hear me or or whatever the things may be but the that that lack of introspection and intentional introspection and keeping a record of it makes it difficult for for me, at least, to to provide that that clarity or to, to answer those questions. And I think that that extends into these moments where we're trying to figure out, well, do I actually want this thing or do the aspects of it really make it seem as if it's the thing that's attractive for me and that it's going to last and be something that's sustainable?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, What comes to mind for me, uh, man, since we're in the musical, uh, a song, Mirror by Layla Hathaway, she's got a line in there. She says, you know, sometimes you got to make the mirror your best friend. And maybe then you'll find some peace within. There is something there that I think speaks to that reflective process. What it takes to really see yourself clearly, not just as an idea, but as a whole person whose arousals and attractions are meaningful and valid. Like they're not just throwaway things. And it's important to, I think, know ourselves in the full spectrum of our being. There might be parts of ourselves that we are a little antsy about really getting to know, about really making space to say, oh, this is who I am and this is what I like, this is what I desire for my life. And we don't all have to want and desire the same things. I do believe we all have to learn a responsible exercise of our relationship to arousal and attraction because both are beautiful and necessary. And I think often about what happens either in like the absence of one or the other. You know, I think all arousal and no attraction makes us subject to our whims. We will chase after whatever seems cool in the moment. There's no staying power. There's no consistency. There's no groundedness. And we just become functionally uh, chained to wherever our desires take us. But then I think about attraction without arousal, where we do a thing because, oh, well, this seems like the right and good thing to do. Mm-hmm. But there's no joy there. There's no excitement. There's no passion. And I know well enough. In my life, I need both. I need both. Things, to me, it's, it's. I'll use the example. It's as if, if Sprite were only lemon or only lime, it wouldn't hit like it does. It's the lemon, it's lemon lime. You need both. And it creates, a sort of you know there's a tension on your tongue that's like yeah this is this is what i've been looking especially,
0: for especially the mcdonald's version
1: bruh. yeah mcdonald, McDonald mcdonald's sprite is like it's, a, it's electric <laughs> yeah man it's like dr Broder's, but you drink it <laughs> like, and you know exactly what i'm saying. <laughs> you understand what i'm saying but you know <laughs> you know right if you know you know um but all of that to say man yeah like The beauty of life is in the dynamic, not in the uh, trying to orient things to one pole or the other, but rather life is always in the tension, in the balance, uh, in that movement between the times where, yeah, you are going to be, you need to be led sometimes by that passion, by that gut instinct that says, "Mm, you know, do this thing now. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Go with it. And then other times where you need to, you know, as uh, various singers have, have sung the song, you need a man with a slow hand. Sometimes. <laughs> <and that's, laughs> I don't know why that that's the one that, that's the song that came to me, but like.
0: No, I feel like that is the oldest thing we've said on this. <laughs> it might be, it might be, bruh. I'm... I'm I grew up
1: around man. I, little, yeah, little, I know, right? I know. You know what it is, right?
0: Yeah, uh, uh, but <laughs> I'm not even sure I know what that means.
1: <laughs> it, well, one one possible interpretation, I think the one that was being implied or hinted by the folk who sang that song um, is, uh, you know, you need somebody who takes their time.
0: No, come on, slow hand. Somebody
1: who, right? You know. I won't, i'm not gonna say you're here but
0: also <laughs>
1: yeah right yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it gets real awkward real quick but um but at the at the heart of it man i think there's there's something to be said for you know the beauty of our journey is not a thing to rush through
0: yeah
1: it's a thing to savor um, and it can be really hard to savor the beauty of this life if we think or believe the thing that we want is always somewhere else rather than what we're cultivating and building right here, right now.
0: I like that you highlighted the need for both because mm-hmm. that, that part about having the attraction to something without the arousal, you're right. That don't, that don't quite curl over either. That's not, that's not, that's not it. Uh, and losing like the joy and the fervor for things, um, also leaves us empty in in different ways, but you end up with the same lack um, in that situation. I think we also have to point out that we are programmed to be tuned towards arousal. Mm -hmm. And there's so much about our society that pushes us towards valuing those things that arouse us in the moment, right? Like, you know, speaking of the sneakers app, when they hit me with a shock drop, and it's some Jays I ain't seen in a while, and it's in the right colorway, I wasn't really planning to spend that, and yet here I am, filling out my information and getting mm-hmm. my face scanned so that I can approve right. of this purchase on the right. uh, credit card that I've already loaded into the app. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so like the capitalism of it all like you know advertising all of these things are about arousing us even everything from what we get in terms of media and particularly now as it's so directed towards um our polarization and things that are frankly going to piss people off when they hear them um in our politics like it's all about like arousing these kind of Uh, intense emotions in the moment social media is like the thing is that that's either gonna make you laugh or it's gonna make you uh upset or you know even for those of us who curate our social media really well who I am not um that can make their social media only give them good feels like um it's it's there to give you that quick reaction and there's just if if we spend all of our time or a large part of our time looking for those quick reactions that's practice we are we are teaching ourselves like that quick intense emotion is something that we should seek after constantly and so for the moments where we need things to to have a where we need a little bit more data where we need to mm-hmm. understand a little bit more it becomes harder and harder for us to be able to discern well is this actually something that's that's good for me or just feel good right now does it just make things uh easier in the moment or is this something that no actually like my soul desires this like i i i feel more whole in this way when i am in this space um there there's there's a requirement of us to be able to to figure that out like we have to to slow down and there's not a lot about the way our society is set up today that moves us towards that kind of slowness, that ability to to take in all the information and not have to be moving fast. I even think about myself, like, In the in the evenings, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and I was having this conversation at work actually this week. You know, it used to be when our parents got home, if somebody called you, there wasn't no voicemail. So if you wasn't if you wasn't at the house when somebody called you, you just missed the call and you ain't even know they called you, right? Like Mm -hmm. there was no email. So once you left work, unless folks called you at the house, wasn't no getting in touch with you. I see you tomorrow. Whatever's happening. I'll figure it out tomorrow. Right. And because of our being chronically online and constantly available, like all of these things fill up the time that was a lot slower. And I think we find ourselves in these moments like, you know, we've talked about protest behavior where it seems like our evening moves so quick. Because it's so full with all of this ancillary nonsense, because slowing down requires design and intention, and it rejects all of the behaviors and habits that we've been shepherded into by all the different things that are trying to separate us from, frankly, our time and money. So it is like you're constantly being bombarded by arousal, arousal, arousal. And then if that's what your life is, how do you even figure out what you're attracted to and what's sustainable?
1: Two big things that come to me out of what you said. One, in a world that is oriented towards speed and efficiency and immediacy, slowing down is actually countercultural. So it means you have to go against the grain of the world in which you're embedded, which means cultivating the interior resources, cultivating the communities that help you in that process and in that practice. But a second thing that emerges is in a world that is oriented around the immediacy and speed impact getting what you want right now, how you want it. It also means that slowing
2: down becomes a luxury.
1: So many people don't have the option to just sit and be still, to just pause for a moment and breathe. Or if they do have the possibility for pockets of space and time in which they do that, Often, they're pushed so hard at every other moment that they're at the brink of collapse when they finally pause. Yeah, And what I've learned is that simply stopping is not the same as actively resting. Mm -hmm. Which means I often can't get in touch with what I'm truly feeling, with what I'm truly wanting because my sensory faculties have been exhausted so much. I've been overwhelmed, I've been overburdened. I've been subject to the waterfall when I really just needed a faucet, when I needed to slow things down a bit. But life feels like there's no room for slowing down. If I slow down, I only fall further behind. If I slow down, I lose track of another thing. So I think there's there's something to this idea that it also takes significant active effort to, to do the work of, of getting in tune with our, our wants and needs. And sometimes, man, there's so much working against it. Uh, so much in this world that depends on us not knowing what we need and simply being susceptible to being told what we desire um and we get socialized into desires constantly um i think about how this you know and there, and th- that's the 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 tension i think in which um it's one thing to have a sort of natural affinity or arousal towards like excitement by a thing it's another when we functionally become trained um here i think of the the sort of classic example uh this sort of a psychological example of pavlov's dogs and the experiment of you know these dogs being trained now to to salivate even when the meat isn't present and i think wow that now becomes a way of reorienting even arousal and desire how do you even lose sense of what you want because the wants and desires of others have become so firmly imprinted upon you. Like you've lost track of the thing that actually makes things beautiful for you. And instead, you've been given a a, a sort of vision of how your desires will be ordered towards what someone wants you to obtain, what someone wants you to buy, what, what someone wants you to, to crave, to lust after. Um, and that can be so hard to escape because you're often just not even aware that you're in that cycle. It just feels like, oh, no, I'm just doing what I want. And it's like, well, how did you learn to want that? Where did that come from? Like, where did that come from? Where does that start?
0: And that the cycle breeds the, the necessity for these quick moments. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm, if I'm not in a position to slow down, to legitimately slow down, then I have to pick my spots and I got to make it count. If I'm always feeling pressed, then those evening hours, when I get home from work, they feel like there's a lot riding on them. I got to get my shows in. If I'm going to cook, like I got to, I'm hoping I'm moving quick because I've been going hard all day. I Mm -hmm. I, shout out to all of the homies with kids because i don't to this day i still don't know how y'all do it how you come home from work and you got another job that's wild to me i what when do you find time i would be up till 3 a.m every day because i still have not gotten my protest behavior under control i yeah i don't see how y'all do it and then the little jokers be waking up when the sun come up and sometimes before that's crazy to me but aside from that like yeah, like it is a it is in a system that is designed to make it so not only we are conditioned to respond to these quick bursts and are in the things that arouse us, but makes it possible really only for that to be the only way that we take in that kind of joy and get those kind of restful moments or moments where we're not focused on something else it becomes extremely difficult and it becomes a privileged exercise to be able to to take the time to, to look within enough. And I think it should also point it out to us that there are so many of us that relate to that cycle and what that says about the distribution of that privilege. Like you and I both work in higher ed and this is something which which i would say both of our career positioning it would be on the on the spectrum of careers available on a more privileged end of that spectrum and and not that close to the middle and yet we both heavily identify with the idea that arousal is something that comes easy and something that we are subject to and so we 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 can find ourselves in these cycles of just taking in what feels good in the moment, and not necessarily what what uh, not necessarily practicing or moving toward that slowness and slowing down, because it seemed to take a lot of effort for me to wake up in the morning and be quiet and give myself time. Because the other part of that is like I have to control myself at night. So I actually feel good about going to bed at 10 o'clock so that I can be ready to do that in the morning. Absolutely, that's hard for us. That's damn near impossible. For someone who's dealing with having less, just period, having less, or like having being further stretched by the responsibilities that are present in their life.
2: Man, as the songwriter said, I'm not going in
1: cycles. Uh, the, The cycles are hard to break, man. They become a naturalized rhythm of life. A thing that we're taught to believe is just the way things are. So we stop looking for an alternative. We stop looking for another way. Uh, what, you, what you said to me, man, particularly I'm thinking about this idea of the relative degrees of, of privilege, and you're, you're right, given our sort of positioning professionally, we get some flexibility in things that others don't quite in the same way. What uh comes to mind for me is how privilege also impacts the way that certain decisions have impact. So I think about the idea of uh there's there's uh what is called asceticism. And asceticism is this notion of severe self discipline, the avoidance of indulgence. Uh, typically, this is for religious reasons. Uh, but I think about how sometimes folk who talk about giving things up are frequently doing so from a position in which they have things to give up. If folk are already behind the A-ball, like it was like, well, what, what more do you want me to give up? Like I'm already in a position where I can, I can hardly indulge anything. And and honestly, ooh man, this just hit me when you have become accustomed to living under deep deprivation you often learn how to cut off arousal
2: Mm.
1: Mm. you often start to, to blunt or to suppress the desire for what moves us because what we know is when that desire arises we're reminded of what we can't have yeah We're reminded of what's not available um and that's like a terrible it's a terrible way to have to live in which you have to be functionally dishonest with yourself about desire there's uh the aesop's fable about the fox and the grapes in which uh, a fox you know sees a cluster of grapes growing on a vine and tries you know all his might to get to the grapes. And uh he can't quite jump high enough to get it. It's just out of reach. And so the fox says, Well, those grapes are probably sour anyway. I didn't want them. And so this idea of like sour grapes comes from the like Aesop's fable in which the fox has this shift of mind that has nothing to do with the actual desire, the grapes, but has everything now to do with. The inability to fulfill that desire. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think about then what so what happens to us when uh life in many respects demonstrates to us actively either what we can't have or what we're not allowed to have. Um we get a skewed sense of what's possible and what's desirable when we're sort of thrust into situations that don't allow us to to genuinely explore and understand like, what would you want? What would you desire if you weren't always being told what to want? Or if you didn't always feel like you had to give things up? Because I know for me, what I want is different when When I've actually got time and space and energy contemplated what what I what I want when it's, you know, I'm headed home, you know, from someplace late, and I know the only thing open is that White Castle. Like, as different from when I've got an evening open ahead of me and I'm thinking, hmm, you know what? I would really like a nice meal. Where would I like to sit down and linger and rest and not just grab and go? and consume so i can get on to the next thing
0: two things for me there one just you know my typical thrusting some nonsense into this uh i was today years ago when i realized it was pronounced aesop's fables and not aesop's fables so there's that uh <laughs> um also it's it's It reminds me of the reasons why I don't. I was socialized to judge the way folks might spend their money if they're going through um, if they're if they're impoverished, right? You know, Mm -hmm. like um, you know, if you if you having trouble bringing pencils to school. How do you have on J's? Um, instead of asking why the system doesn't provide pencils and requires each of us to buy those kinds of supplies that we need in order to secure an education. But um, yeah, like if it's difficult for you to slow down and have these moments of joy, but you see an opening to get like a small burst of joy or to provide that um that that moment where somebody's you know desire is fulfilled their momentary desire is fulfilled wouldn't you want to provide that doesn't it push you towards that i think we spend so much time like blaming folks for their condition as if the condition was their choice and i think what is clear is we did not choose most of this. We did not choose to be under a system that requires what it does of us. We didn't ask for our evenings um, to be stretched in the ways that they are and for our free moments to be stretched that way. We did not ask for the 5-2 split in the week. And hey, amen. And where the 4-3 at? That's, hey, we need to direct action because some got to shake. The 5-2 is crazy. But we didn't ask for that. Like these things were thrust upon us. And in many cases, like we have been separated, sometimes violently, from the history and from our memory of these things. Because you and I grew up in situations where. Our parents didn't have email and didn't have the voicemail. and, you know, you you were not available. Like I remember my parents coming home from work at five o'clock, and they got off at five. Stuff shut down at five and something strange had to happen in order for that not to be the case. I remember very clearly, like, we would be at the house together from the time they got off to the time we were sent to sent to bed, got up the next day. Like, that whole thing was, it was a different way of doing things, right? And in the different additions, what has come with those things is a different level of bills. It's a different re- level of requirement to participate in society. Because let somebody try to be an academic today and they ain't got no cell phone. And they don't have no internet access at the house.
2: You're not available enough. You can't do
0: this job. So it becomes a like the, the socialization requires that we participate in these things that are constantly speeding us up. And when you ask, when we ask each other about like how we feel and where we are, man, you can tell we are all, we are in the spin cycle. Who you talk to who say they're not tired? Who that is? Where they at? What they doing. Because I don't know no billionaires, so I don't know nobody who's not tired. (laughs) Bruh. Hey, so it's i don't blame folks for their conditioning toward arousal and by the same token i don't blame myself for that because we didn't really get into this by accident somebody designed it that way so it takes difficult and intentional and against the uh, the grain type of work in order to move ourselves toward a deeper understanding of what we would actually want and what is actually good for us and sustainable because otherwise we just kind of get that void filled up with what people people tell us we should whether that's what you should desire in a partner in employment in how your daily life should look and work and the things that you should have what you should be spending your money on. All of these things get filled up by the messaging that we receive. And there's so little that we rely on that's innate to ourselves. Because as I talked, even jokingly earlier about six-year-old me, I am very aware that there have been things that have been in me since I was a small child that nobody programmed into me there may have been circumstances in my life that moved me toward them. But when I think about like how I enjoy doing this, I talked about this before. Man, I, I, I once got either a birthday or a Christmas present. And it was like this, this boombox with a mic on it. like It was like red, yellow, and blue, kind of almost like a Fisher-Price level thing. And you could record on it. And I used to record radio shows as a little kid Mm -hmm. so there are certain things that are there and are in you early ain't nobody put that there well i believe the creator put that there but no person put that there right so Mm -hmm. there are things already in us without somebody putting a whole bunch of stuff in us to tell us what it ought to be but it really requires so much for
2: us to, to get back to that.
1: I'm so glad you mentioned this gift of this boombox with a microphone, because what it reminds me is that part of how kids really learn about themselves and the world and discover what they're interested in is through play. And this is coming together in my head in real time part of how i'm thinking about the dynamic between arousal and attraction is that they're held together by play Mm. okay arousal says something to me about what game i want to play
2: attraction feels
1: more like man who do i want to play with Hmm. And I, and when I think about like the meeting place between both the game that really gets you going and the people with whom you play well and play best. It's like, yes, that's that's it. That's where you feel most alive. Not just that I'm playing this game, but I man, I think about it as a, so as a kid sometimes uh you know, you 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 got you got a you got a, a video game that maybe it's a one player game. But sometimes the one person will be playing it and then everyone else is there watching, which is funny, because now that's actually a thing by which people make money. Like millions of people watch me play a video game <laughs> via streaming. Um, wish I had thought of that. But anyhow. I remember, You know, I remember as a kid, even the sort of. Mutual enjoyment when everyone was in on it. One person's holding the controller, but everybody's like, oh, make sure jump here. Like, don't forget to grab that item or do this thing. And so everyone's actively playing in this moment and is excited by it and engaged by it. And it's a different feeling when I will be playing a game and like my siblings were around or like my friends were around. Cause there was this, it was just a heightened sense of. I was like, yeah, I like the game anyway, but now something about the experience is substantively different because I'm with these folk who add something to it. And so that's something that kind of speaks to my heart, to my spirit, to my interest and desire in being connected, not just to the source or object of arousal, but to the deeper qualitative experience of that thing. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so I, I think about like on some level, man, aren't we all just desiring to play, to discover, to explore, to be curious, to be open, to be vulnerable.
2: The world makes you
1: forget how to play because who has time for that who can who can do that when there are bills to be paid and there are chores to be done and mouths to be fed, clothes to be washed and eventually folded and eventually put away. I'm talking to somebody maybe that's somebody too me. Loud is what you're doing you too loud to- way too loud. <laughs> but all that to say, Man, the structure of this world conspires against the beauty of play, the joy of doing things just cause, man, just cause it's fun. Uh, and and I've really truly believe one one of the one of the things i've I've had to work at and be conscientious of is, how do I find my way back towards play? Um, and, and and developing that beautiful dynamic between my arouses and my attractions. Do I really, truly, deeply know what I want? And do I also know what moves me, what touches me? And there's something just really beautiful about when all of
2: that comes together. Like,
1: you know, and I don't want to just default to the the kind of romantic or sexual framings of that but there's something that happens when the thing you deeply desire is also the thing that's deeply sustaining mm-hmm. and you you and when you realize that that oh wait this is both really good and this is sustainable this is flourishing this is life giving it's a satisfying in a way that's not just some quick, momentary, flash in the pan. That I'm like, yeah, that's when life gets really good. When I'm tapped into that uh, that sweet spot.
2: Yeah.
0: I I um, I, I find myself um often struggling not for lack of self-awareness but for lack of intention with being able to Define what it is that I really want. And so one of the practices that I have I have spoken about, but I w- I want to be held accountable on this and so I'm talking to you about it um mm-hmm. I I one of the things I want to do is just like start to write it out. Like what mm. what are the things that I actually want? because I find it hard to just sit with my thoughts and not be distracted by something else that pulls my attention away, right? So because of my my habitual um, tendency towards distraction, um, or in this in this way, I will say tendency towards those things that arouse me. Uh, I will say that that it I find it difficult to just sit with, so what would it look like for you to, to want or to have your set of desires fulfilled? What are those things? what What about your space would need to change? What about where you are would need to change? What about your life would need to shift? What things do you just want to do? That aren't just you know I was scrolling through social media and I saw the lovers and friends uh, flyer the most chaotic flyer because it had boys to men and soldier boy on the same part of the flyer and I just for the life of me can't understand how one event would have those two acts it doesn't make any sense <laughs> right right <laughs> but instead of waiting for that to be filled in like where is the Intentionality in my life that I that fills in the blanks and doesn't wait for someone else to do it. So that it's easier for me to have a sense for when one of these arousal moments actually fits into what it is that I'm looking for. And when one of these moments is like, ah, that's that that seems cool, but nah, I'm I'm cool. I'm good. I can move on. Mm -hmm. And so for myself, like creating time and space for the practice of answering those questions so I can better communicate it, not only with the people with whom I share community, but with myself so I know.
2: Man, I'm... I'm i'm sitting i'm sitting I'm sitting with that, man.
1: That idea of sitting with ourselves And the work it takes to be really still. and and I, and I think both about how we might sometimes just be naturally resistant to stillness, or also have been trained to to think that stillness is wasted time stillness means uh, you're not getting something done you're being lazy i just think no actually when i give myself time to be still and to truly rest with my thoughts i find i'm able to get back to it in a much healthier and relaxed way a way that's not completely bound up in you know anxieties. Uh, I, I, I I find that one of one of the, one of the things that occurs to me is just how easy it is to be anxious about managing the arousals and the attractions.
2: This feeling or this wondering if you're like doing too much or not enough.
1: Uh, sometimes the feeling of guilt for wanting what you want and thinking, oh, well, I don't deserve that or I'm not worthy of that. And a lot of the negative self-talk we engage, convincing ourselves functionally of what the the fox convinced himself of about the grapes. Oh, those are sour grapes. I don't want those. It's like, "Mm, would you want them if you could reach them? Would you want that if it felt possible, if it felt doable, if it felt available? And like there's something to be there's there's something to be said, too, even for acknowledging that everything we want don't always get fulfilled. It doesn't make the desire bad. It just means we we have to negotiate a relationship to it because I mean, you know, we ain't got to get into all of it. But I'm like, man, how many times have you desired something in life and desired it so badly? And like you knew this was the thing for you. And, you know, life is like, nah, oh, man, close, but not quite.
2: <laughs>
1: and there are times when almost doesn't count. <laughs> and... <laughs> I think we set the record for song references in an episode. We 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 certainly have. We certainly have. But like, just you know, must be a full moon or something. I don't know. Uh, Very tired. Of oh, it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. Now I can't stop. I was like, is that my arousal or attraction? I don't know. Like, am I attracted to puns or do I? <laughs> am I just excited by them? I don't know. Maybe both. But <laughs> all I'm sick of me too. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but but but, in any event, man, like I've learned I've learned the value and beauty of um when we get in touch with with what we desire, man. we're no longer we're we're, we're we live in a place of honesty about who we are and what we want and it's it's okay to not get everything I want it's not okay to lie to myself or deceive myself about, about what I want. Cause man, that to me is how you, one is how we become haters. That's how we develop resentment. It's how we become basically just kind of like sad sacks, man. Like, like, there's some folk who I'm just convinced, man, are like walking wet blankets. like. They're going to squelch anything because the idea of watching folk honestly and truthfully live and live in and work towards what they desire deeply, sometimes it just reveals to folk that they're not doing the work around what they desire. And that feeling of being stuck when they have you wanting to get others folk stuck, you know, misery be loving company. For sure. And... I'm just like, you know what? Let me not be miserable. Let me not impose that on myself or onto others.
0: I think the, like, the 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 sour grapes, joint, like it also facilitates a belief within us that this is the best it can be. And all of the resentment that comes with that we become numb to it but it it starts with the lie that those grapes are sour i think we have to acknowledge so that we can be able to move forward with honesty and to assess our situation ask ourselves why we can't reach or why it's not happening for us we have to say that the grapes them grapes ain't sour man you just can't get them. And so what's the reason why you can't get them? Because answering that question helps us to move towards the type of action and intentionality that makes it possible to have the sweet things within our reach. Look how we did that. Look how we wrapped that up. That's what you call the alley. It's really nice. So, it's like we have chemistry or something. Man, my could be, bro. Listen, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. We're really, bro. (music) Kyle Memphis has been in the news for some really awful reasons. And so um, we're not going to focus on the the killing of, of Tyree Nichols in this moment but there's another story in in Memphis that has centered around one John Morant. Um, And I'm looking at the article from The Athletic by Bob Kravitz and Sam Amick, and um, it details a situation that took place on January 29th in which acquaintances of John Morant quote-unquote aggressively confronted members of the Pacers traveling party um, and there is an allegation that, um there was a group in a car. John Morant was among them, young Grizzly star uh, was among them in the SUV, and there was a laser shined on members of the Pacers traveling party. Now, um, they're not sure whether, um this was attached to a weapon, but um, as the article, Mentions a pacer security guard in the loading area at the time remarked, "quote That's 100% a gun." Unquote. Um, Another person who was present said, "quote We felt we were in grave danger." Now, we can both agree that this is not a good look for John Morant, a young superstar clearly on the on the rise in the league. Um, I feel. I feel real iffy about the anonymous quotes here. They sound embellished to a degree. And honestly, like I've I've also noticed the way that this has been handled in media. A lot of people are tiptoeing around this, but I think that this points to some really interesting issues that are present, uh, particularly for a really young, John Morant, 23 years old. So a really young brain-not-fully-developed young Black brother who is trying to find his way. Um, And all the pressures that come with being in that position, I know we talked about this earlier. I remember when I was 23, I made a lot of poor decisions.
1: Yeah, man. And 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 mind you, you know, I was broke making poor decisions. Yep broke unfamous not in the top one per you know the top fraction of a percentile of no. being the great at something <laughs> um, so yeah there's i mean there's something to be said here for what it means to be young to be well resourced to be well known, and the ways that that invites a different kind of gravity around your life. Um, in some ways, you know, money does not change us. Some have said, you know, it makes us more of what we are. And so, I don't presume that being now a millionaire, being a person who, in many respects, you are the epicenter of, you know. This the set of acquaintances. These folk are at this game. They are in this situation because of you. Their relationship to you, and so all of that now. Now all that ain't on Ja Morant, right? We can't expect him, you know, to now have to be the, you know, he ain't the boss of everybody, right? Like these are other grown folk. Like there's no kids here, but what what does come to mind for me are the ways in which you know when money changes situations, it changes consequences. It changes the kinds of eyes that are on you. It changes the way that you're being read and interpreted. And I feel for what it is to be a young black man who is otherworldly successful at a particular set of skills and who is compensated well for that. Right. By folk who, you know, mind you, right, like clearly have even way more money because if they pay in whole teams of people to to play a game, that means clearly there's a whole lot more money that that's coming from. I think what I what I what I what sits in the back of my mind is a caring concern for. What it is to just learn over time that. Uh, you know, all moves may not be the moves you want to make. Uh, that sometimes uh, we find ourselves embedded in practices and behaviors that I mean, listen, I can get how it may be related to the context that you came from, but now you're also in the context where those same things are gonna cost you something differently. Um there's also the the aspect of you know what? What precipitates these kinds of confrontations? Like we're talking about, you know, traveling traveling parties and acquaintances with respect to to, to sports stars, entertainers, and I am like, you know, what beef? Really? Like, like what what happened here? I mean, cause I am like these can't be folk you run into on a regular basis, right? It ain't like Memphis plays Indiana all the time, right? I guess a twice a year kind of thing. What's, what's there and once here? So I'm, I'm wondering, like, okay, so what what's underneath not only, like, these confrontations, these encounters, but also what is it that prompts people to feel like this is the way to handle it? Like, whether there was a firearm involved or not, and I'm inclined to think, you know, folks traveling with a millionaire, a young millionaire, Um there might there may be some protective measures in place. Mm -hmm. I'll leave it at that. But man, I remember well well enough from you know from them old like Dr. Dre and Snoop videos, little little guns with the with the laser scope on there. It's like, man, that's point lasers, like that's 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 sending a certain kind of message
0: and signal. (laughs) It is, it is. It is, and even if you're playing around with just like a laser pointer from the car, like you are trying to send that message, you are trying to signal that. And I want to speak to how how this is read onto Ja. So, like the 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 really bruh of it, as it were, is is really me thinking about like us being careful about how we meet the moment. Because I think in so many of these instances, there is a situation where you read a level of, um, I don't want to say agency because Ja does have agency in this, but like level of experience and ability to conceive of consequences and all of that, that I I think is particular um, to him being uh, a young black man, a young successful Black man, right? Uh, Whereas I can remember a certain Olympian whose name doesn't really come to mind, and who needs to remember his name anyway, uh, who destroyed like a bathroom in Brazil. And dude was like 30, 31, and they were calling him a kid. So who gets to be a kid when they're making these mistakes? And who gets to be read as someone who should not make these mistakes? Like these things, these things come to mind. Um, I also know that there are certain mistakes that you can't make because if this is, you know, Jaws' boys, right. That did this, like it'll get read onto him because the reason that they they are there and present in that situation is because they're with him and his gravity, his, uh, Positioning his money is the reason why they are present, right? And so there's all of that, but there's also like this is a 23 year old. Yes, by the standards which we apply to adulthood, he is an adult. He is also someone whose brain is not fully developed. And if you're like me and you work with 18 to 23 year olds on a regular basis, you realize that them jokers don't always make the same decision. The the, the best decisions, I should say. Um, Mm -hmm. And there are varying degrees to how bad those decisions can be. Um, I think it's also interesting to talk about uh, how masculinity plays into these situations and how um, like a certain level of athleticism and the persona that you embody during competition how that shows up in terms of how people interact and what is uh read and received as disrespect and then what can be, you know, moved past uh and what can mm-hmm. what kinds of disrespect cannot be abided. I think that that certainly plays a role. um but it it concerns me when when folks are are ready to to run with the quote, to run with the report. That's always uh, an area of, of concern just because of the circumstances around Josh. So my hope is that there are people who are actually reaching out and that he's not um, actually supportive of, of some of these actions. But I also think it's interesting how how thin the lines between these actually are because you pointed this out in our discussion about this earlier, you know, when you, we think about the Memphis Grizzlies, if you've been watching basketball for the last 10 years or so, then you think about the great and grind Grizzly, Grizzlies, right? You think about uh, um, and that, that whole squad, right? Um, and the persona that they had was very much like they play the game rough. It's heavy on defense. It's nobody's going to come in here and push us around. Like, This was the idea that this now younger core of uh, players in Memphis were brought into and in in many ways asked to live up to. So Mm -hmm. I wonder how much of what they are living into in terms of being the villain or being disliked is part of what they were socialized into in terms of expectations by folks who were on their way out they're they're veterans who were teaching them how to be professionals. Right. And that's not to put any blame on folks, but it's to say like people fill in the blanks the way they see fit when they don't have all the answers. Um, I also think that our, this, this, this generation of young folks that's coming up are chronically online and so believing that everybody's against you or everybody has something bad to say about you all the time and the feeling that those things are going to loom large and how you and how you move that plays a lot into how you react and respond to things and so i think that there is a lot of space because this didn't escalate into a very terrible and tragic altercation that there is space for grace and learning i hope that that is being extended uh to him and i hope that he is receptive to it and if this is if there's any truth to this that he's making that shift but there is a need for you know folks to to meet him where he is so that this doesn't turn into something that's terrible
1: you said it man you said it i my my hope
2: frequently is that grace will abound
1: Cause I'm like, man, I've needed it to abound for me. Come on. Um, but, man, yeah, it's a hard-knock life out here, man. And stuff gets real ugly real quickly. And my, my hope is for him as a young Black man, you know, that he's given the grace and the space to grow into his way of moving in the world, his way of being in the world. And maybe, you know, some of that will entail a kind of reorientation of how those relationships play out. And I also say this, man, you know, I keep relationship with folk who I can trust are not going to cost me dearly. So. Yeah, man, Godspeed to the young
0: brother. Yes, sir. And that will wrap up another episode of Black Men Unlearning. Thank you, as always, for rocking with us, and we'll catch you next time. All right, y'all. Be easy. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Black Men Unlearning podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Black Men Unlearning and email us at blackmenunlearning at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to podcasts.